Right, so we're in Acts again. Uh, as I know, it was two weeks ago we were beginning in Acts with uh, Richard speaking to us on the first uh, 11 verses. Um, just to recap on what Richard said, he reminded us that the book of Acts is written by Luke, and this is book number two. So Luke, the Gospel of Luke, book one, uh, Acts, book two. And that he reminded us that uh, the book of Acts is about the teaching and the life of Jesus as he lived and walked on earth, up from his birth right the way through to his resurrection and ascension. And then we have book two, which is the life of the church, or the, the life of the teachings and the working of the Holy Spirit through the church. Uh, Jesus is teaching uh, through the church. Um, and he took us through uh, the first 11 verses, and he, he had three points for us. And I'll recap on them. He said Jesus went up after suffering, so he went up as, uh, as fully God and fully man. And he had suffered in our place as our Saviour. And then he said the Lord, the, Sp- um, the Lord Spirit came down, and he, had point- he pointed us to the fact that this was Jesus' trip, Jesus' treasure, of love that he has given, and that we are more present now with Jesus than he was when he was here on earth. We have more presence of Jesus in us now than when he was physically here on earth. And then he said, the Lord's people are going out. And he talked through uh, the Father's plan for the kingdom redemption. And uh, as part of that, he gave us a warning that we should not be caught up with the things of this world, uh, but we should be looking forward uh, to his return. And so we come into the next section, which is uh, verses 12 through to 26. Now, the question is, that came to my mind while I was reading this, is why does Luke include this account in Acts? In my mind, if I was writing this book, I would talk about the ascension and Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come and that that he's going to bring power, and then I'd jump straight to that. I'd miss out this next bit, but thankfully Luke's a better writer than me. So it's uh, great that he's included this. But why did he include these, these, uh, these next few verses? Well, I think what we need to do is get a context of what Luke is trying to do. Uh, why Luke has written the first book and the second book, and he's written them to this guy called Theolophus. Theo. We'll call him Theo, because every time I try and say it, I can't. So he's written this book to, to Theolophus. Theolophus. Yeah. I can't say it. Anyway, do you know what it means? Lover of God. So he's written this book to the lover, this lover of God. And uh, he's written it why? Well, we need to go back to Luke and chapter 1 for that. Let's go back. If you've got your Bibles, go back to Luke and chapter 1, and I'll read the first few verses for you. And this is what it says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from whom the first... Who... Sorry, took... Drawn down to us by those from who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, 
Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theo, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So he writes this account, book one, Luke, so that Theo might understand and have certainty in the witnesses, the first eyewitnesses, and their account. Okay? And then he writes in book two, he comes in, we come into book two, on mine, and he writes again to Theo, and he brings in a new an introduction of saying, look, I wrote to you about this before, so I've written to you about Jesus, who um, all of Jesus began to do and teach and to do until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering he presented himself to them and gave many convicting proofs that he was alive. See, Luke has the same agenda in this book as he did in the first book. And that is to give a full account of Jesus and to show you how trustworthy the eyewitnesses were in the first one. And that brings us to this, these few verses, say so few verses from 12 through to 26. Luke wants us to understand that these same eyewitnesses are the same, that, that he talked about in Luke, are the same eyewitnesses he's talking about here in Acts. And if you notice, he, he names them. He names them, and he names them also um, in the account of Luke. So if you look in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 and verses 12, I believe. Yep, verse 12. We have the account of Jesus choosing the 12 disciples, which are the first eyewitnesses. So one of those days, verse 12, Jesus went up to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Appius, Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, sorry, who became a traitor. And we can't, and while we're in, and in Acts, he comes and he says, look, he recaps on the end of Luke, and he says, look, these disciples, these ones that were given this commission that we find here in this first section, are the apostles. And they're, and they're obedient to what they're told. So in uh, verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me talk about. And in what do we find in verse 12? We find these eyewitnesses, these disciples, doing exactly as they're told, being obedient. And the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. 
And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. What do you know? Judas Iscariot is missing. So, there's one difference here. There's a difference here. There's an intentional difference from what Luke, from what we see uh, in the list of the twelve in Luke. And now we have a list of eleven in Acts. And it's a big elephant in the room, isn't it? If you think about it. It's a big problem, Micah. It's a big problem. The apostles are there in the room. They've been told to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And they're sitting there, talking to one another, praying constantly. But there's a big problem. Because their witness surely has been compromised if one of them has betrayed their leader. And we're given a hint that this is a problem in verse 18, in the narrative. It says, with the payment that he received, this is Judas, for his wickedness, Judas fought a field, and there he fell headlong, and his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Lovely. And everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field, in their language, Akeldama, that is, filled with blood. You notice that, that the, the, the disciples were all sitting um, in this room and there's a problem around in Jerusalem because they've all heard about one of their own, one of them who shared, verse 17, he was one of our number and shared in our ministry, had actually betrayed Jesus. So surely their credibility is uncertain now. And I think Luke, here in Acts, is trying to address this problem by showing us in this passage what's going on. And he's addressing it um, by showing us who's present, and but he's showing us that those present are still reliable. They're reliable witnesses and servants of the world. If you look at it, they're there praying, they're with the women and the Mary, mother of Jesus, with his brothers. And then Peter stands up among the group of believers, about numbering about 120, and he addresses the elephant in the room, Judas. And he says, look, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number, and he shared in our ministry. Jumps 20, he says to Peter, for, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, and let there be no one dwell in it. Peter takes this opportunity to address the fact that actually maybe 
just maybe their credibility is challenged. But he says, look, actually it's not. It's not challenged at all, because actually this was told of many years before by David. In fact, not just by David, but he only quotes David here. He says, look, you know, Judas may well have betrayed Jesus. He may be one of, well, may well have betrayed us and therefore make it so that everyone else who knows about this questions whether we're the real deal or not or whether we can be trusted. But hang on a minute. This has already been told of. We've already been told about this. We can see that this isn't making us questionable, but this is actually clarifying the witness that we have about Christ and who he is. Because who else can foretell the future in such a way? And Luke is trying to get across here, or trying, he's getting across here, that actually we do not need to, the reader, Theo, Philophilus, yeah, he and us do not need to worry about the credibility of the account of the witnesses that he's going to write about. This is the Acts of the Apostles we're going to read. But actually what we need to see is this is all part of the plan. Because even when it feels like one has deserted them, and now they're 11 and not 12, been put in place in Psalm 109, may another take his place of leadership. We know um, that uh, there are 12 apostles. Why? What did they represent? Anyone? 12 tribes. Not 11 tribes. This is a problem, isn't it? When when they're sitting there talking about uh, who's been chosen and why, and there's only 11, (coughs) there's 12 tribes. So Peter stands up and he says, look, we're told, look, may another take his place of leadership. And I believe this is what they've been praying about. As they've met there in that room, they've been praying. And they've been praying about God, praying to Christ, to what should we do? And they've searched the scriptures, and they've seen these two prophecies. And now they come and, they, and Peter says to the 120, he says, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They're fully aware of the fact that Jesus has already told them in verse 8 that their commission is to be the ones who witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world about Christ's resurrection. And with that in mind, they here they list the criteria for the person who's got to replace Jesus. And they manage to whip it down from 120 down to two. I find it really interesting at this point that actually you notice that the two, there is actually no just playing tricks on me, excuse me. There are there are two people who can actually take this role. 
there are two people who, when you look at the criteria, they've been there from the baptism of, of John, uh, with John the Baptist, right the way through to his resurrection. Neither of them falter in that. And if we were in today's, we would go, well, we've got two elders that qualify. There's a point in both, wouldn't we? But they're only after one, they're not after, they're after 12, not after 13. So what do they do? They pray about it. They pray about it. They hand it to Jesus. They, they, they pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And they cast lots, and a lot fell on matters. So he was added to the eleven apostles. This is stunning in my mind. The apostles have lived and walked with Jesus. They were chosen by Jesus, as we've seen in Luke chapter 6. And they recall that choosing that they have themselves. What happened in Luke chapter 6 when we read it? Can you remember the first thing of that account? Verse 12. I'll read it for you again. One of, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. And spent the night praying to God. What do you see the disciples doing before they ask for another son? Praying, aren't they? They're praying. And then, notice again in, in Luke, it says, when the morning came, the sun, he called his disciples and he chose twelve of them. And then if we look in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, it says, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Jesus had chosen the twelve he knew every man's heart and he knew Judas was going to betray him from the beginning. And now the apostles, they pray so that the twelfth disciple, the twelfth apostle, might be chosen not by them, but by the Lord Jesus himself. You see that? Then they pray to the Lord. You know every man's heart, everyone's heart. Show us which of these you have chosen. Luke writes here, gives us this account so that we can see that right from the beginning when he wrote the first book about the eyewitnesses who are servants of the world are obedient, they are, on the words, they are relevant, they cannot be contested. And they follow his example. And they choose Matthews. Well, they don't choose, sorry. Christ chose Matthews by the casting of, of the knots. And he was added to the 11. 
But what does that mean for us today? As we look at this and we see that, that uh, Luke is saying, look, these witnesses, they're, they're credible. I'm going to carry on writing this book because we know we can trust them. They were chosen by Christ himself to be this witness. They saw him right from the beginning when Jesus was baptised and God and the, and the dove ascends onto to Jesus and he says, this is my son, says, this is my son in whom I am well Right the way through to them seeing him taken. Think of it now. What does it mean for us, the church, for those who are reading this letter later on? Well, if nothing else, we take the example of the apostles, don't we? As they seek to do God's will and, and go out and fulfil this commission that they're given to go out and to be witnesses of the resurrection. So too, if we got to do that, how do we do it? We do it through prayer. We do it through looking at the word and seeing where he, Christ, wants us to go and what he wants us to do. We are servants of the word. We are the witnesses Christ today through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, continue to pray, as we see God answer that call that we have upon him. Such a, uh, a funny passage that when I was giving it, I was like, what on earth am I going to get from that? And I sat down on Wednesday night with Richard and we went through it and we went and I was like, I haven't got enough time. There's still loads more. I still haven't touched on the Psalms. I still haven't touched on well, lots of it. I'm not going to go. But we are called to be the church that witnesses for Christ. We need to do so through prayer, through studying the Bible, and through trusting in him to answer those prayers, and to work in us. And on a side note, we can take a lot from electing elders from this passage, if nothing else as well, can't we? Electing church leaders in here, right? that, you know, we meet together, we pray, about God giving us leaders. Now, we do not look forward to Paul leaving. But when he does, we're going to be an elder then. We need to be praying about that now. Don't we? We need to be searching the word of God to see what an elder should be like and what he should do and learning about how he should lead the church and how he should be the witness to us so we can be witnesses outside the church. We need to trust God that he's going to provide. Because he does. He does. What Our Father God, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that Luke has included this section in his book. So that he is not like me and he would not just jump to the action. But Lord, that we would see that you are in all 
and frugal. There is nothing that happens outside of your plan and your purpose. And we pray, Lord, that we would be your witnesses here today. Lord, that we would be witnesses of your resurrection, of that sins forgiven through Christ, through his redemption, uh, by the pouring of his blood. Lord, give us your spirit, Lord, more and more. Empower us that we might be your witnesses, that we would trust in you, we would come before you in prayer, we would trust in your word and trust you to answer those prayers as well. Amen.